This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Darshan Johan. YB Charles Santiago, who's a human rights defender and the former Klang MP for DAP, recently wrote a four-parter on Malaysia Kini detailing modern-day slavery, forced labour and abuse perpetrated against a group of migrant workers from Bangladesh. So on today's show, we're going to be going through the series of heartbreaking events experienced by these workers and also what needs to be done so that this doesn't happen again. Welcome to the show, YB. How are you? Hi, hi, Dasha. Thanks for the kind invitation. Thank Thanks you. for reading the four, four <laughs> articles that I wrote. <laughs> it, it was a very well written and, and honestly, like I said, a very heartbreaking. Um, so let's dive into it. Um, based on your articles, uh, based on 40 migrant workers from Bangladesh boarded a plane and arrived in Malaysia at the end of March. What were they promised? Why did they board the plane in the first place? Uh, the number that we have actually is 40. Mm-hmm. But actually, when they arrive at the location, uh, the first location uh, in um, in Malaysia, the number gets bigger because there are other guys who are already there. So this is a syndicate that's uh, that's operating and that's organizing such movement of workers from Bangladesh uh, to Malaysia. But the motivation is basically these are uh, people who come from rural parts of uh, Bangladesh um, and uh, these are people who are looking for a better better quality of life for them and their families. And they believe that coming to Malaysia will actually increase their income capacity uh, and as a way of supporting their families in their own countries. So, and uh, what has happened is um, they each of them paid uh, uh, anywhere between 20,000 Malaysian ringgit to 25,000 Malaysian ringgit. And everybody, some have, some have paid 20 and some have paid 25. Uh, but that's not the only amount that is involved. Normally, typically, when you pay the twenty-five thousand or the twenty thousand, it always includes uh, your health check, uh, you know, fingerprinting, and so on and so forth. The variety of stuff that you have to do before you come to Malaysia. Uh, and clearly, in this case, they had to pay more. Mm-hmm. So it's just not twenty-five thousand. And two days before they arrive uh, in uh, in in uh, in uh, 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 in uh, uh, to take the to take the flight. Dakar to take the flight, uh, they pay for their hotel stay, they pay for fingerprinting, they pay for their health tests, and they pay lots of money that's outside of the 25. So the number is actually quite high. Hmm. Uh, and as it turns out, because of the mess they're in and three months of no work, uh, and now they have to borrow more money to pay back because they have paid, they have uh, mortgaged their land, they have mortgaged their homes, uh, and uh, they have also borrowed money from their friends, their relatives, and also from a local bank, a local NGO that serves as a bank as well. Right. So now they have to repay the money, and uh, now they are asking their families uh, to borrow money for them uh, to pay for their food here in Malaysia, to pay for food here in Malaysia, as well as to pay repay some of the money that uh, they had to, they promised paying after the first, first or second month uh, arriving in Malaysia. So this is a typical case of slavery, a typical case of modern slavery uh, that we see right happening in front of us. And unfortunately, our governments are sleeping on it. And and also the international bodies who are familiar with what's happening are also keeping quiet. So there's really a massive effort that needs to be done uh, at the national level in both the countries in order to resolve this issue as urgently as possible. 
And in these typical cases of, of modern-day slavery, as you put it, um, it's often, uh, you know, it involves um, agents, uh, recruitment agents and, and whatnot. Could you explain the process of deception that was used um, to lure, uh, lure Ahmed and his friends into this situation? These are people uh, in the rural areas uh, of Bangladesh. And according to what I understand, and what was informed to me, what was told to me, they have uh, sub-employment agencies in the areas where they are staying. So I will give the money to my sub-agent, who then will process it with uh, the more the bigger bigger agent, who then gives me the documents, uh, the passports, uh, and also the working agreement with the name of a company when I arrive in Malaysia. So they go to this local guy and say, look, I'm interested in going. And they broker an arrangement of 25,000 or 20,000 Malaysian ringgit. As soon as you transact the payment, then you will be told, okay, this is when you leave. Uh, and before you leave, uh, we will give you your, your documents and so on. Now, a good number of them, or at least for the people that I spoke to in this particular case, uh, they had no idea they're coming to work in a construction company. They had no idea. They thought they were coming to work in the service industry, uh, but not in construction. Only on the when they when they received it on a two days or a day before departure, they realized this was a construction company. Uh, but it's too late. They've already committed. They've already paid the money, and now they have to repay the loans that they have taken, a debt they have accumulated, uh, and therefore um, they have no choice. They have come to Malaysia. Could you shed some light on the backgrounds of these um, victims? Because I get the sense that whether it's in this particular case or in the many um, other cases um, surround, uh, of similar nature, um, I get the sense that they are mostly manipulated as they come from poor backgrounds, um, desperate to put food on the table for themselves and their families. I think one, it'll be fair to say that they want to come to Malaysia. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to go anywhere in the world in order to uh, earn some money for their families. Right. So that is the bo uh, motivation, bottom mm -hmm. line, bottom line. They are aware they have to pay money, mm -hmm. uh, that they are aware. Now, whether that is right or wrong is a different ballgame. Right. Because now, uh, employees all over the world, including Malaysia, have got this thing called zero recruitment fees, uh, where you don't have to pay, mm. where you don't have to pay. You just have to give your name, your information, and then once it goes into a process, uh, and then you are, once you're identified as somebody that they can support, the company in Malaysia can support, uh, they will just you know say, we will pay for Ahmed or Amir or whoever to come to Malaysia. Right. You don't have to pay any, any money at all. Hmm. That is a zero recruitment fees. That is something big companies in Malaysia are, uh, are embracing. And more, more people should do it. And the government of Malaysia should promote that in a very big way, though. So I would like to see the minister going out and say, we will only promote zero recruitment fees from now on, something like that. But it's not happening. This is this is why you get a bit worried. Why are not why why is the government not moving on these issues when it's already being practiced by our own companies? So here they they know they have to pay the money, mm -hmm. uh, twenty five thousand. They go and raise the funds, and in one particular case, this guy has a bit of land, and he has actually mortgaged the land to some some, some people. And they will take the harvest of the land. Three harvests in a year will go to him till he finishes paying the 25,000 ringgit uh, or, or the amount that he has borrowed. Right. And just like that, some have borrowed cash, some have mortgaged their jewelry, some have mortgaged their, you know, their cow, sold their cow, sold their goats, hoping against hope that when they come to Malaysia, that things will look better mm. and their families will be able to, you know, they will be able to pay their debt 
right. uh, debt, debt uh, arrangements as well as the families will have some money uh, for savings as well as for food and the children and their sisters and brothers can go to school and so on and so forth. So this is the hope. This is the promise. Uh, but when they come here, there's a, a disaster waiting to happen here. Right. So so let's talk about that. In in this particular instance um, that you wrote about, what happened once the workers arrived um, in Malaysia? Well, uh, the uh, upon arrival, they are told by their agents, mm-hmm. one, that they are not supposed to say to the Malaysian, Malaysian immigration uh, officials that they had paid 25,000 Malaysian ringgit. Right. All they have to say is they have to pay, they paid 80,000 dakas, mm. uh, which is about 3,500, I think, which is a, which is the allowed arrangement between Malaysia and Bangladesh. So they are told, and they said, if you say it's 25,000 Malaysian ringgit, you might not be able to cross the border, across the immigration. So of course, you know, I've already paid, I want to start my job tomorrow morning. So I'll be nice. I will say, what do you want me to say? Hmm. What do you want to hear? So they say, okay, we paid uh, 8,000 dakas, and that's all the Malaysia has to hear, and then they cross over. Now, the thing is, once you hand over your passport to the Malaysian uh, labor broker, you will never see it again after that. This is the problem here. So is this is it common practice for workers to who are brought uh, you know brought in they they come here looking for work they come then you know they like in this case the recruitment agency is telling them don't tell it's twenty five thousand and and so on and so forth and then after that their passports are kept by by the labor brokers is that common practice? Uh, it used to be a common practice even mm. companies used to keep it though right. But as a result of uh, the forced labor laws that we have now. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. government coming hard on Malaysian producers who are violating forced labor provisions. Now, lots of companies are now handing over the passport back to workers. Right. And Malaysian law also says you cannot hold their passports. Now, uh, but passports are the uh, way to keep the workers under control. Hmm. Uh, So what in this particular case, uh, the broker keeps the passport. And if you want the passport back, uh, as what these workers told me, the first week it was five thousand ringgit, second week it was six thousand ringgit, and the third week, where we, the, the time when we saw the workers, it was seven thousand ringgit hmm. that you have to pay a broker to get the passport. Now, why? Where will these guys go for the money? So it's very simple. Uh, the argument is: you go and work, the money that you earn. We will use that to pay your passport, give your passport back. So this is, see how the passport is being used Mm -hmm. as a way of controlling, but also indirectly, you know, this is, you know, bondage. Could you dive into that a little bit more? What is the impact of this, this act of holding um, your passport or holding the worker's passport ransom? What is the impact of this towards the workers? Well, the workers are kept under control, Mm -hmm. under lock and key if you want. Uh, because the workers know that if they don't have the passport, they can't leave the uh, uh, the premises. So they're caught in that particular place. They can't secure jobs elsewhere to another employer. They're stuck with this employer. And this employer is quite smart. I don't give you the passport. You can't go. You can't move anywhere. And in this particular case, the police had come. Hmm. The police had come, visited them, and I will just repeat what I was told. That the, worker, the police came, saw them, collected money from them and left. Hmm. And before they left, they had 100 ringgit in front of the workers uh, before they left. 
So again, you can see how the system works against the vulnerable community in this particular case. So right. This is what we know. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you there are many, many such brokers and many, many people in, under bondage like this. And that is why we will actually have a major problem uh, in fulfilling the roadmap on labor, uh, on, uh, on forced labor. Right. All right, let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is YB Charles Santiago. He's a human rights defender and the former Klang MP for DAP. After the break, we discuss the role agents play in perpetuating exploitation. Keep it here on Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Beyond the Ballot Box. I'm Darshan Johan and on the show with me today is YB Charles Santiago. He's a human rights defender and the former Klang MP for DAP. And we're talking about the exploitation faced by migrant workers in Malaysia. So YB, can you provide more details about the living conditions that the workers experienced? Um, how did these conditions impact their physical and mental well-being as well? Uh, when these particular workers came from uh, Bangladesh to Malaysia, mm -hmm. Um, they left Bangladesh at 10 a.m. in the morning. Okay. Bangladesh time. Mm -hmm. They arrived in Malaysia. No food was given to them while uh, in the plane. And then when they arrived, there was no water or not, no food given to them. Uh, they went to the place where they, were, where, where they stayed for 25 days without a job. Uh, no food was given to them. They only arrived there at 4 o'clock in the morning. The first food and water they saw, they, they had, was later in the evening, which was one small bottle of water uh, and very minimal food for them to consume. There were altogether in that particular place, I think something like uh, 71 workers uh, who were sharing one toilet hmm. uh, and there was no bed, nothing whatsoever. So they were actually, um, you know, living and sleeping with the, on their backs. You know, the pillow was their back and without, you know, they were just sprawled all over the floor uh, trying to, you know, trying to make sense of what's, what's going on without any kind of support and left uh, at the, and left in uh, abandoned I must say though now one of some of them took pictures and started posting it around and and one one or two people uh, or a couple of guys took a video and for some strange reason uh, uploaded it on my Facebook <laughs> uh, that's how I got I, I knew what was going on right and then when I saw it I said my god this is not fair I mean come on Right. You know how this. The, the point I want to make here is, you know, this is seventy-one guys, uh, and um, um, and there was another group as, uh, there as well. There was another group there, twenty-three people who had who make up the seventy-one. So that means to tell you that this is, seems to be a revolving door here. Hmm. People come and then you know they meet with the new group or the old group that has already gone through the process, and then when they find out, they will they tell you that uh, that group actually had worked in Johor and was not paid. Uh, so this seems to be a pattern. And uh, some of their friends who had come with them had gone to gone to Penang and worked for a month, uh, or two months, sorry, uh, also not paid, also not paid. And of course, you know, in the world of WhatsApp, they all exchange information so they know what, what's happening uh, to each one of them. And in terms of living conditions, as I said, 71 of them used only one, one toilet and one bathroom. Uh, for a good 25 days, 26 days. And I can tell you when talking to them, you can see that they're all suffering from depression. And there was a case of one man who had a heart attack uh, and there was no support. A labor broker did not take them to the hospital. Uh, these workers had to pool whatever limited resources 
And then they made a call for the other friends in Malaysia to support them. They got some money and took him to the hospital. And it's not clear to me what transpired after that, though, uh, because I had no, con no, no way to know what was happening to this particular worker. Uh, when they came back for the second time, mm -hmm. when they came back to this particular labor broker, uh, this time around, they were given 10, 10 persons to a room uh, with one toilet, another room, 11 persons, and a third room, another 10 persons. To a room, to a room. How do you how, how do 10 people stay in a room? This is the condition in which uh, they are finding themselves in. Uh, and I think the question for us is, should we allow this? Should we allow labor brokers to cheat, exploit, keep people in under bondage? This is bondage, though. This is slavery. So I cannot see why our government, our, our, our enforcement officers are not moving in. You mentioned labour brokers a number of times. For listeners who may not be very familiar, what are labour brokers specifically and what role do they play in Malaysia to further perpetuate or, or be one of the main people when it comes to the exploitation faced by workers? Well, labour brokers, are, there are many definitions of this. Mm -hmm. These are your nice-sounding employment agencies. No? Right. Uh, that brings workers from... That bring workers uh, from one from a source country to a receiving country. So these employment companies, uh, uh, you know, they have their own connections and they have their own relationships uh, with other brokers uh, in Bangladesh, in Indonesia, in Myanmar, uh, in Nepal, uh, Pakistan, and so on and so forth. So they are authorized to bring workers into Malaysia. Uh, but some of them behave uh, as outsourced companies, hmm. which is against Malaysian law. Malaysia, uh, for all intended purposes, has outlawed outsourcing companies. But the way these guys are doing it is outsourcing. So they bring the workers here, they send to Employment One, uh, and then bring them back, send them to another place of work, bring them back, a third place of work, bring them back. Now, uh, here, what happens is uh, they're not being paid. Hmm. They're not being paid. This is the problem. So I want to ask the government, what are you doing? Uh, you have a, a forced labor uh, a law in Malaysia, you have signed a roadmap, a 2030 roadmap uh, to achieve, uh, to eliminate uh, forced labor in Malaysia. You know that the Americans are looking at you hard uh, and, you know, really making sure that you follow forced labor uh, agreements, ILO conventions, ILO co-labor standards, and so on. Uh, companies like Top Glove, uh, FGV, Sime Darby have been hit uh, with, uh, with by the U.S. for forced labor issues. So what are you trying to do? So why is there no enforcement? Why is there no enforcement? YB, can you explain the phenomenon? Um, it's, it's been highlighted a lot more recently where people come and they have no jobs because, um, you know, when it comes to exploiting uh, workers, you know, just treating them in, in very inhumane fashion and, and all of that, right? We've been hearing about this for a very long time, but the, I, the understanding is that they come here and they get a job and then they are, they are they're put in horrible living conditions or horrible wages and, and things like that. But recently we are hearing a lot more about Workers who, like you said, in their home country, they are being told, you give us this much, we'll bring you to Malaysia and you'll get a job there. There'll be a job waiting for you. So they mortgage their homes, they, they sell their wives' jewellery, so on and so forth, do whatever they can 
uh, you know, to pay the money and then come to Malaysia and then there's no job waiting for them here. Like you said, you know, people have to stay in cramped places for 30 days, 40 days, more than that, sometimes two months and, and there's no job at, at available in the first place. How, how is this happening? In the question that you raise is an important one though. Uh, and this goes back to government procedures right. uh, and the way the government issues permits. Uh, you make a request uh, to the ministry through uh, Ministry of Human Resources, uh, where you say, I need 5,000 workers, 2,000 workers, 1,000 workers, or I just want 500 workers or 20 workers, whatever. Uh, it used to be the case uh, where you had uh, uh, an app, app called FWCMS. So you apply to the FWCMS and you will get a reply from FWCMS saying that, yes, your your application has been approved. And then it then goes to, a, to the Ministry of Home Affairs where they will process your permits, your licenses, whatever that they, 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 they require to bring the workers to come here. Now, that this particular app used to be in the Ministry of Human Resources. And now I think it has been transferred to uh, the Ministry of Home Affairs. Uh, however, the FWCMS is controlled by a private company. Though. This is an important point to note. And uh, this private company essentially controls the movement of workers from private uh, from a different country to Malaysia. They not only control the movement of workers from a source country to a receiving country like Malaysia, but they also certify uh, whether a particular uh, clinic or a particular hospital can certify Malaysian, uh, those coming to Malaysia as, you know, uh, 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 safe for travel. I mean, free of any disease and so on and so forth. They're free for travel. The question then is, why does the Malaysian government use a privately run uh, app uh, in order to do that? And a lot of people, critiques included, and I think this is an issue that has been raised a number of times in parliament. Why are they depending on this particular FWCMS, which has shown to be uh, inefficient, reliable, and maybe even corrupt. Uh, and the question is, so when you apply, that means you the approval comes from the government. Hmm. Now, the question to ask is, why is the government issuing permits when there are no jobs? And these companies clearly do not have jobs, right? but they're bringing in workers. There was a study done, a Royal Commission that was set for set, uh, established by the government of Malaysia uh, some time ago, uh, where we just come out with a recommendation on how to manage this process, uh, how to make it corrupt-free. But I think it is some for still for some strange reason under OSA. Uh, I think that has to be made public uh, in order for us to go forward. And I think you know it's time for us in Malaysia to start relooking at the uh, uh, movement of migrant workers to Malaysia for a variety of reasons. Uh, uh, and one is to make the process humane. Uh, one is to make the process a just process. It works for everybody. Uh, and more importantly, it does not uh, work against Malaysian workers because there's an element to depress Malaysian wages as a result of too much of foreign workers in the country. Earlier, you painted a picture of the deplorable living condition of uh, living conditions of these workers. Um, what happened after that? So they were stuck in this place without a job, horrible living conditions. Um, what happened after that? And what is the situation right now? How are um, these workers, uh, you know, what's the, what's the uh, situation update right now? As I said earlier, hmm. that these guys were all doing the video and this, you right. know, sending it to their friends and so on. 
and one of it ended up in my Facebook. Hmm. Uh, I looked at it and I said, oh my God, <laughs> where is this place? And right. then it's somewhere here, close by. I don't want to mention the name because right. for security reasons. Though. Yes, but let's absolutely. just say location one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, so when I saw it, I said, my God. And uh, then quickly I tweeted about it. And then I wrote something quickly. And that got the attention of uh, the uh, uh, Ministry of Human Resources, and who promptly the next morning went there. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I also sent them the address in which they are staying. So they don't have to go, you know, hunting. They know exactly where to go, which house to go. Um, so that they took the workers to uh, a place, uh, a second location. Let's keep it a second location. Now, this is something very wrong here. Why wasn't the company charged? And I say that because some of the workers who were uh, supposed to be taken to the second location left for Penang, where they're working right now, without salaries by the same company. Why why aren't their wages being paid? They are coming to this country with a clear understanding that they're going to be paid every month, 1,500 ringgit. They're not being paid 1,500 ringgit. And as a result of that, now, they have to borrow from their family to pay back. And on top of that, they are being told that if you want the passport back by the broker, same broker in the, in third, in the third location, that... Uh, Give me my, uh, what do you call it? If you want the passport back, give me 5,000, 6,000, and 7,000, depend, uh, you know, as, as, as you know, as, uh, as, the, as the weeks pass by. So there's no reason for that. So that is why when, you, when, when the enforcement is relaxed and when the enforcement works together with the, with, the, with the crime perpetrator, you see all of this happening. All of this is happening. And the victim is the migrant worker in this case, the Bangladeshi worker, but the victim is also Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Malaysia as a country, Malaysia as an economy, is also becomes a victim because other investors when, will not want to invest in a country where you don't trust the government uh, machinery. A big picture question would be, what would you say is the root cause of all of this? There's lots of money here and middlemen from both the countries are taking advantage of it. Uh, it is a multi a multi billion dollar business has been going on for a long time, and politicians, labor brokers on both sides make tons and tons of money from this. So why why change something that has worked for you? Entrenched is so entrenched hmm. that you cannot break it. So my simple suggestion is uh, very simple: stop taking workers from Bangladesh. Half the problem is solved. Okay, why why do you say stop taking workers from Bangladesh specifically? Because their workers come from all all countries. Yeah, but the problems, most of this is happening with Bangladesh workers. Right. Because there is a a very deep understanding or deep, a deep relationship between Malaysian brokers and Bangladesh brokers. So where do we go from here? If you if you want to look at the the, the long term, right? In the in the short term, you can say, uh, or you know, perhaps like a, a fast solution could be, you know, stop taking workers from Bangladesh. That could be one very important sort of measure. But in the long run, when we are talking about you know resolving this issue, where do we go? What needs to be done so that you know this issue of modern day slavery, um, you know of of workers being manipulated by by labor brokers and they're being brought into this country with with no job available for them and even the jobs available it's it's horribly horrible wages deplorable conditions so on and so forth how do we stop all of this 
And one, we have to recognize that in a globalized environment, uh, you will have the movement of workers from one place to another. Right. You will have a movement, whether it's blue-collar or white-collar workers, they are moving from one country to the other. Malaysian workers go to Singapore to work, for example. Uh, Malaysian workers are also uh, working go to, uh, go to other countries uh, to work as blue-collar workers. Uh, like we have lots of Malaysians working in Australia, uh, picking cherries and so on and so forth. They are blue-collar workers. So whether you're a Malaysian or whether you're a Bangladeshi, you're going to move. Right. Uh, Blue-collar or white-collar. So we have to accept that, that this is a reality. I think going forward, we need a system that's fair, that, that actually allows for fair play, that you are not in bondage, that you come here, you work, you get your salary as per your agreement, uh, and then you leave after the, after that, your term of work. Uh, you know, that's, I mean, why is this, why are white-collar workers always protected, but blue-collar is always the victim? Right. Uh, and uh, you don't see such treatment uh, of white-collar workers. Uh, of course, yes, you hear discriminations and so on, but here it seems quite organized. The blue-collar worker movement is actually organized, very well organized, and these are organized by by cartels, mm -hmm. uh, by cartels, which are, you know, they're, and they're spread very well, they're spread very well, and they have actually benefited from this for maybe two decades now. So, you know, so they, have, they they benefited from it. So why why change? But now you can see that the pressure is mounting from Europe and America uh, and other countries, where saying we cannot tolerate this anymore. So if you want exports to come to, if you want exports from your country to come to my to to say the U.S. or even to Europe, you have to change. Mm -hmm. You cannot allow forced labor to happen. Forced labor is a proxy for slavery, for right. sl uh, uh, slave uh, slave trade. That's right. basically what's happening. Not only the Americans, but the Europeans. The Europeans now have gone one step further, and they want even your supply chain, the entire supply chain, to practice uh, uh, forced labor protocols. So it, that is the level of seriousness. Mm -hmm. So we in Malaysia have to start preparing. Whether you're a big player, you're a multinational corporation, or you're a local corporation that is quite big, uh, including our smaller players who will need help from the government, I will need help on how do you organize your workplace, how do you organize your systems that you already practice that, that conforms to, uh, what do you call it, uh, labor, uh, forced labor standards. Uh, and I think this is the challenge. So if the government of Malaysia does not take this seriously, it is going to come back to harm Malaysia. Uh, these kinds of news, like you know, like slave, labor, slave trade in Malaysia and so on, is going to hit everywhere. It's going to, everybody's going to talk about it. Uh, workers, you know, the technology has changed so much. Workers who are being oppressed themselves are tweeting. Mm -hmm. Workers themselves are putting it on the Facebook. So it's it's there. So by keeping quiet doesn't mean that this thing will disappear. The problem will disappear. It is going to emerge in different ways. So therefore, be proactive, get the act together, and go and do something about this. Right. Uh, at the same time, while we are trying to organize this movement of workers in a more respectful, dignified, and a just way, Malaysia too has to start improving our human resources and technological technical expertise. This is something that has to happen. And that is why I think the government of Malaysia really has to pump and rethink TVET. TVET today, uh, for you know, for, for lack of another word, is given money for people who have been in the business for a long time. So I've got a TVET program running. I've got 30 guys and they don't turn they don't even turn up for the training. <laughs> but they get, you know, money for them and they get a certificate and so on and so forth. It's a very, you know, very easy kind of a thing. And people make money out of that. Take it like how the Germans do it. They take TBAT so seriously, so seriously, 
and make the necessary changes. So TVET really has to go through some kind of an overhaul in terms of curriculum and syllabus. And start it off after after your uh, Form 1. Start it at Form 1 level. Move it. Move it to after Form 5. So after Form 5, you'd make it quite clear that your salary cannot be less than 3500 Absolutely. And on that note, YB, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Tashan, uh, for having me. That was YB Charles Santiago. He's a human rights defender and as well as a former Clang MP for DAP. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Beyond the Ballot Box, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.